Scott, welcome to the show. I've heard you say that business doesn't get easier. You just get better at business. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, so basically, I when I first started in business, I never knew very much uh, in business. I knew all about my field. I served my time as a joiner, I trained as a quantity surveyor, and I started my own building firm. But being a builder is different from being a joiner or being a quantity surveyor. So being a boss is completely different, no matter what what field you're in, whether you're a banker, a lawyer, an architect, a builder, a hairdresser, being a boss is different. Running your own company is different. So I used to always think it would be easier when I learned that or it'd be easier when I got that contract or it'd be easier when I got that member of staff. But it doesn't get any easier. You just get better at handling the problems. Business is hard. You know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's hard. Yeah. But it just gets so it's hard, but it gets easier when you have the experience and you've learned how to deal with situations that come up because these situations are always going to come up. I have a, a wee story that, that, I, that I tell people that basically when you first start in business, people are taking your feet away. They're tripping you up. They're pushing you over. You're getting, sorry, I'm going to swear, you get shit thrown at you every single day. Yeah. And at first, it just hits you, knocks you down, knocks you over, takes the wind out of your sails. As... You get a bit better at business, you manage to really duck it. You barely manage to miss the shit that they're throwing, but they're still throwing it. You just yeah. have to get better. You get better at avoiding it. You get better at it. And it, it's just, it is, it's hard, but it's also good. It's exciting. And it, everybody makes mistakes. As long as you don't repeat them, you'll do well. So you have to learn from your mistakes. And I think yeah. I'm quite happy and I'm quite open even now to say, look, I've made a mistake for changing course. A lot of people have realized nowadays, see if somebody's on the wrong course. A lot of people nowadays would rather just stay on their own course rather than admit they've made a mistake. So yeah. for me, I'm quite happy to put my hand up and say, oh, sorry, I know I said that. I know that was a plan. Change their mind. That's not working. We're going this way now. And I think that's sensible, but there's a lot of people who don't do that. Don't know if it's saving face or what. So yeah, no, to answer I... your question, you get better at business. Business is always hard. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I take that on board and I, I, I agree with that. So take me right back then. So you, you started off as a, as a joiner and you've, you know, you've done quite a lot um, in, in, well, recent years. You've, you've, I, I would class you as being successful, but I know there would have been challenges uh, within that. So take me right back to how it started. So I grew up in uh, my mum, my dad and my wee sister, seven years younger than me. So we, I basically grew up in a, a two bedroom flat. And when my wee sister was born, my mum and dad put a stud partition across the kitchen, halved it. I got the back half with no windows in my bedroom, but that's what we could afford. So I was yeah. loved, clothed, fed, had a great childhood. My mum and dad were just, they, they couldn't do enough for us. Um, it was a brilliant childhood, but we had no money. So I remember BMX came out in 1984 and I wanted a BMX bike. And my mum said, sorry, son, I can't afford to buy a BMX bike. And this was the key that's moved me in my life, I believe. She said, when you work, you can buy anything you want. And I said, when I work, I can buy anything you want. She says, yeah, you can buy anything you want. So I went away and I got two jobs and I went down every week and I paid £5 towards my bike, picked my bike and I uh, got my car stamped saying that it was, it was £200. And first time I paid the £5, I went down to 195 Then the next week I paid my £5, 190 Then I realised, you know what? I said four jobs. I could pay £10 to get my bike twice as fast. So I got four <laughs> yeah. jobs. And um, I started, that was maybe my entrepreneurial spirit came around. I actually started selling tablet and macaroon around the doors. 
as a 14-year-old boy, just chapping the door, so we like to buy some macaroon and tablet. And uh, so I, I had my four jobs, got my bike, and then ever since then, I've just worked. Uh, I used to buy and sell Pringle jumpers and uh, do whatever there was money to be made. I would be looking at things. So I, I got my sort of buying and selling experience pre-school, uh, pre before I left school. Yeah. And then started, um, probably not something that you maybe should be seeing on the on the, on the the chat, but at school, I just found it boring. I was quite very clever at school. I could pass all my exams without trying, but it never interested me. So nah. when something doesn't interest me, I don't apply any time to it at all. So I started BMXing and breakdancing rather than going to school. So I got thrown out of school with no qualifications. My dad says, you're not lying about the house. You'll be getting a job. So he got me a job with his friend as a joiner. Never wanted to be a joiner, but he got me a job as a joiner. Yeah. I then realized that, oh no, what have I done? I'm actually, and, and where I grew up, tradesmen, and, and, and I was a tradesman, so I'm not being uh, derogatory on, but quite a lot of tradesmen back in the days, it was working, going to the pub, getting up, working, yeah. going to the pub. It was kind of the lifestyle. I wanted more out of life. Um, I had, as I say, because I had been working for myself, I had some money when I was a schoolboy, so I was buying bikes, I was buying some nice clothes and things, so I wanted money. So I made it that that first week as an apprentice joiner, I made it my mission to be the best joiner that you could have. I was going to be the best at my game. And that's the only way I knew then. I never knew about business. I never grew up in a family that had businesses. We just, I grew up in a family for people who work for people. So I just thought, yeah. my, my whole experience was you went to work and you worked your way up yeah. in that firm. My dad started as the, the sweeping the floor. He worked on that firm his whole life, and he ended up being the, the managing director of it. But he, he went all the way up from... Yeah. So I just thought he started somewhere, and you, and you hear stories that people would go to Standard Life or the bank and they start as a junior and work their way up. So I presumed I would be a joiner. I then started being the best I could be. I started really paying attention. I started spending money on tools. Um, and then about two years into my apprenticeship, this is quite important, I suppose. It's about the school of hard knocks and how everybody... Some people see me now driving a nice car, having a nice life, and think it's easy for him. But it's not always been like that. There's been struggles. So yeah. two years into my apprenticeship, my journeyman says to me, Scott, I'm fed up with this. I'm going to work in the bars in Greece. Do you want to come? I'm like, no, I've got to finish my time. <laughs> so my, I, I, I then started him. Um, so first of all, go back and say, I missed the bit that was really important. When my mum my told me that when you... You get a job, you can buy anything you want. Yeah. And I said, well, how'd you get a job? She gave me the yellow pages. That's me showing my age. But she gave me the yellow pages. She says, you start at A and you pick up the phone and you keep phoning until somebody gives you a job. And if nobody gives you a job, you start again at A and you keep phoning until somebody gives you a job. So the so basically, John said that he's leaving. He's going to work in Greece. I'm like, what am I going to do? So picked up the yellow pages, started phoning builders. I'm looking for a job. I'm in my second year of my apprenticeship. So I got to speak to Millers, which were the biggest privately owned house builder in the UK at the time. Not a house, not a home builder, but a biggest privately owned builder. Yep. So I phoned up and I got through this guy called Bill Forsyth and I phoned him up and he said, I'm the, I'm the uh, contract director. And I explained my story. I'm second year of my time. My journeyman's going away. I'm looking to finish my time. He said, if you're ever passing by, pop in. So I hung up the phone and I got the two buses to get from my house to his office. I chapped the door about an hour and a half later. I says, is Scott Fairbury, we're just on the phone. He says, the, the, the boy of the apprenticeship says, yeah. He says, you've already got the job, but come in and tell me your story. So <laughs> when you're keen, you're keen. So I got the job. I then 
finished my time. I then was always at them as I thought the progression was contracts manager. So I thought it would be joiner, site foreman, contracts manager. But yep. a job came up as a trainee quantity surveyor. But just before that, I was, so first of all, my first knock was you like, I was halfway through my timer and then that, that was taken away from me. So I yep. then just found another apprenticeship to finish. Found another way, yeah. Firms. So then I was doing night shifts in the Halifax Bone Societies as a, as a joiner. So I'm getting paid double. I'm doing seven o'clock at night till seven o'clock in the morning, seven days a week, getting paid double time. And they're through in five. I'm getting paid two hours travel, getting paid 26 hours a day. I can't remember the exact wages I was on, but see, I was on £300. I'm on £1,200. So I yeah. definitely, I thought I was David Beckham. So I was living the great life. I was earning plenty of money. Because I was working all the time, I wasn't going out. So savings no. were coming up. And then I got the chance of going into the office and training as a trainee quantity surveyor. So I was sitting, by this time I'd met my, I met my wife when I was, well, my girlfriend then when I was 17. We're married now. We've been married all that time. But we were saving up to be married, so I was making this great money as a joiner and putting away savings. And then I got the chance of going in the office and train as a quantity surveyor. The money was £80 a week because I was back being an apprentice yeah. <laughs> or the trainee surveyor. So £80 a week. Everybody worked 9 till 5. I had to work 8 till 6 because I was at college on a Thursday to make up the time. So I'm getting yeah. £80 a week now from 1200 Then at 6 o'clock, I take my suit off and I put my jeans on and I go and do homers. In fact, that's me really showing my age now. I used to do homers for a five or an hour. <laughs> I wish you could get a joiner for a five or an hour. So, <laughs> yeah. And I'd done that just to survive. So yeah. I had two cars, I had to sell one of them. I then trained as a quantity surveyor. Doing it about 18 months. And the guy that trained me, Bill Forsyth, left and went to another firm. But after 18 months, because I had the background of being a joiner, being on site, doing the, the surveying was easy. So yeah. I was already going, I was getting sent out to me. So the, the job of a, a builder surveyor, is to get as much money as they can from the client. And the job of a client surveyor is to pay the builder as little money as possible. So I was already <laughs> going out to meetings and I was winning and I was getting yep. great money in for my, for, for my boss. So when Bill Forsyth left, he said, I've got a job at another firm. I'm just going to take you on, Scott, as estimator surveyor, uh, put your money up to £400 a week and we'll give you a company car. And I thought, well, happy days, just go there. So yeah. I went there. I was there four weeks and the company went burst. So I've left oh. the biggest privately owned firm in the UK to another firm that's went burst after four weeks. Nothing to do with my pricing, by the way. But <laughs> <laughs> then, um, so I then went self-employed. Sorry, so I never went self-employed. I went got a job as a joiner. And when I was working as a joiner for another firm, I met this guy, Kevin, and he was self-employed. And he said, why don't we go self-employed together? So to answer your question, I thought I was going a typical career route of joiner, quality surveyor, contracts yeah. manager, contracts director. And then my path got detoured and I met a guy who was self-employed. We started doing kitchens for people and vaulted ceilings and bathrooms and things. And we built our business yeah. that way. And that's how I became self-employed. I never really thought about having a business. And then Kevin and I were that busy. We took on our shop and then we took on extra staff. And well, some stories about that. I remember my first year in business going to my accountant and a big bag, black bag full of receipts. There you go. What's that? It's yeah. my books. Every time you bought a receipt, it was in the van and you just put it in there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Horrendous. And the accountant's looking at me and I'm like, what's... I think what the problem is for most business owners is they don't understand that everybody has a job to do. So, for example, the accountant, he, he can't do his job. Like, so a joiner can't build the house if he's not got any timber. No. An accountant can't do his job if he's not got the right, the right materials, which is the receipts and the proper records and things. 
So it was an eye opener when he says like, "Where's your PY records? Where's this? Where's that?" I'm like, "Yeah, I just used to get paid from the boss. So I've just been paying my guys. He's not even great. Pay the tax and things like what? And everything like that. Like, where's the right. rule book? Where's the rule book yeah. that shows you about your own business? There was nothing. Yeah, where's the rule book for, for business? You can Google stuff, but back then there was nobody to speak to. There was nobody. Um, no. So from then on, I started realizing I had to learn. So. I started reading books. I started studying self-belief, positivity. So I'm, I'm probably one of the most positive people that you'll ever meet. So any anything that happens to me that's bad, I just learn from it. I find out what was my part in that situation. A lot of people like to blame somebody else. I like to find out what was my part in that. So, for example, that company I was there for four weeks and went burst. Yeah. There was nothing I'd done that was that, that I could have seen and said, that was their fault. But no, I thought, well, if I had researched that company, if I had asked to look at their financials, if I had looked at them more, I might have seen they were on a shaky bag and stayed. So that was my fault. So I always take responsibility for my own actions. And I feel that when you do that, you're not wasting any time blaming somebody else. You're looking at what you've done wrong and you're fixing it for the next time when you move forward. Yeah. That's yeah, pointing kind of... fingers doesn't doesn't ever solve anything, does it? In fact, when you point a finger, you're normally pointing like three back at yourself because you, exactly you, yeah, you need you need to take some responsibility, even if it the situation wasn't your fault. It was possibly your responsibility that you know you got yourself into that situation, and it's your responsibility to make sure that you move out of that situation in a positive way and actually move forward and recover. So yeah, I completely yeah, agree not, with you on that. I'll give you the. So I was kind of where I got to becoming self-employed. And then I'll I'll, go, I'll give you a fast tour of what I've done then, just because it might be of interest to people. I don't know. But So I'm self-employed, working with a partner, getting on great. I then uh, decided to get into attics and extensions. So in Edinburgh, there, at that time, there was millions and millions of pounds get spent a year on people improving their home, but nobody really doing it. So we started doing extensions. I remember the first one we were done. So I, priced, I could price them because it was a severe. Yep. I could pay some, but because I was a joiner on a surveyor, I had no experience in actual building. I'd experience seeing it on site and pricing it, but not. But I remember the first day doing a job down at Meadowbank, just fingers crossed, hoping the brickie was going to turn up. So we booked the brickie, <laughs> a guy I know, hoping he's going to turn up. And he turned up, we bought our first extension. And then um, we, we, we turned over, and doing our first extension, we turned over, oh, I wish I could remember the numbers now. We turned over something like, say, £100,000. Never made any money. Then we started really ramping up the sales and we started getting really busy. The next year, we've done a million pounds in turnover. Never made any money. So we're working harder, 10 times as much, 10 times busier, but we're not making any money. And I remember, that's why, why I say that numbers are so important. I remember going at the end of the year to the accountant, turning over a million pound, and he said to us, you've lost 10,000 pound. And I actually remember standing in the court, he says, why don't you, it was myself and Kenny, why don't you go outside? And how about we think about that and we can have a chat after it. So I remember standing with Kenny, tapping my pocket, saying, have you got it? I've not got it. Where is it? <laughs> Laughing. Because we had no idea how we could have lost play. How could you lose £10,000? Not realising that we're due 100 in and 110 out. <laughs> so we've lost £10,000. And because you're just turning the money every month, you're not, because you're not paying attention to your numbers, you're not actually experiencing that. So if you stop, Aye. that whirlwind stops and catches up. Yes. Realize, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically like um, musical chairs. The music stops, you've not got a chair to sit on. So I remember I'm saying, you've lost £10,000. I'm like, why is that? So we then basically, because we were uh, studying self-belief and, and going on positive mental attitude training courses and things, we, we came across Dan Pena. Dan, you'll have heard of Dan Pena. He's a, he's a billionaire now. So he used to run a course on showing you how to make money. 
So we went to, we flew out to Florida to meet Dan Pena and do his course. It's quite funny. We flew out and they lost our luggage. So we're sitting in the seminar and everybody's got, so Dan Pena is quite a powerful guy. He wears the three-piece suits. Like, like a, he's like a, oh, a yeah. so pure yeah. pinstripe suits, braces. We're sitting there with our shorts and our t-shirts. And like, somehow <laughs> like sore thumbs. And a whole room full everybody with their power dresser. We've got a We're up to say, what they say to Dan? Say, we're really sorry. Our luggage was lost. But the truth of it was, when nobody suits indicate seats, like, <laughs> We're going to Florida. We thought we were going to Florida on holiday. So we've yeah. got all the clothes. But we were at a business seminar with a guy who's really, really prominent. So anyway, what to rush out to uh, Macy's and buy suits the next again day, coming with the suits. Never run them in our case. And brilliant. So we, we met Dan. We've done his course. And then we actually, uh, when he partnership with Dan, Dan came on board and took a chairman position in our business. We then decided to, Dan's speciality is taking cottage industries, what he calls them, be mama and papa businesses, and growing. Yep. So we actually borrowed a hundred million pounds from the Clydesdale Bank as a war chest to go and buy um, different businesses in Edinburgh to, to consolidate and make a big firm. Yeah. Um, some really powerful people on our board. That was a whole different experience. Like we, had, we brought in finance directors, sales directors. Um, we were really, really, really good plan, but it just never worked. Um, basically, we we never worked. We never there was an issue with um, we were spending more money again than we were earning. Dan had saved yeah. dollars on the balance sheet, um, and it just got to the stage where it was. You know, I think one of the hardest things I said at the beginning is is that you you need to know when to when to hold them and when to fold them. A lot of yeah. people just continually just go and go, but you just need you need to know when to fold, and that's that's actually hard. Very, very hard yeah. to just know when to fold. So we had to know when to fold and it was not going to work. We closed that company down. It got put into liquidation. It was my first experience of real pain. <laughs> the Basically, you've, you've, you've built a business. You've given it your all. You're working seven days a week, 14 hours a day. The liquidator comes in and says, give me your phone, give me your credit cards, give me your keys, and off you go. And you're like, <laughs> everything, your income, your business is just taken yeah. off you. It's horrible, horrible. I mean, you're, you're, you're a, a positive guy, but that must have hit you. Oh, that yeah, must have it, literally smacked you. It, it does. So what happens then is, so we were we were quite high profile at that stage. And then when that happens, you go back and you, you evaluate what happened. So I realized what I'd done wrong. I realized what I should have got, what I never got, what I should have done, what I should have done. But at the end, of, and I was working all the hours um, under the sun. So I then decided that, you know what? The actual winning the jobs and doing the extensions was easy. So that was my kind of forte. So I set up a wee business. And it's funny, quite funny, because I called it Scotway because I was fed up with doing things. Everybody else is going to do my way. And then life was quite good. I, I can't remember what era that was, but I was earning 100 grand a year. I was playing golf five times a week. Uh, the business just ran over smooth because it was now much smaller than the bigger business that, that I had had. And it was just easy. But during the time with Dan do, do, through growth, I had been, um, my eyes had been opened to some of the real finer things in life. Um, like I was away getting helicopter lessons because I was going to buy a helicopter. We were away test driving Aston Martins. We were staying in um, St. James Club in London, eating La Gavaroche. So I, just, I was doing things that I never even knew existed before. And yeah, I quite liked, got the taste. Quite yeah. liked them. <laughs> so, um, so whilst life was good, I was driving a, a, a brand new 
uh, Audi A4 at the time. I was playing golf. I was a member of a nice golf club. Life was good. We were going on holiday, but I wanted more. Um, I think that's one of my one of my traits. My wife has said to me for years and years, you're never happy. And I would say, I'm always happy. I just want more. So I think that's yeah. one of the things that steps me to get to the next level. Is a, so yes, I'm happy and content, but I want more. Now, it might appear on the outside that you're never happy because you always want more, but but I'm very happy. I just push myself to get. And in fact, that's one of the things I do. I never compare myself to anybody other than myself yesterday. So I just want to be better than I was yesterday, and I want to have more than I had yesterday. That's that's my my philosophy there. So anyway, back to the mobby business. I was doing well. Things were good, but I decided that, you know what, that's not for me. I want more. But it was good. So back to you, say, did that even mean positive? It must knock the wind out of your sails. I think I was mm. hiding. Not hiding, but I think I was didn't want to put myself out there again in case that happened again and you got it taken off you. But I realised, like, the biggest regret in life is not doing things. Not worrying about what yeah. might happen. So I got back out there. I started growing my business. And I'd done a, I'd done a job for a, a guy at the West End of Edinburgh. He it was a big job at that time. It was £250,000. They paid me to convert a townhouse into five apartments. And I made £50,000 on that in about three months. Like That was good money back then. Yeah. Maybe like 150 grand in three months. Like happy days. And I thought I was doing brilliant. And then he bought the building for two fifty, and he paid me two fifty, and he sold them for $1.25 million. I'm like, wait a minute. I, I don't know what. So, well, I thought yeah. I'd done all the work, but he obviously had to get planning permission and get the, the yeah. architects yeah. and he had to sell them and all the finance and all. But, but, I'm yeah, thinking, but it always looks easy what, I've, what everyone else has done, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah. So I decided, so I'm actually quite an okay property developer now. I've built and sold over 50 million, in my own, 50 million pounds worth of my own stuff. But that first deal, I don't think I could ever do it as fast as that again. I'm on holiday in Florida with my business partner. And I said to Kevin, I said, we should be actually doing house building. Look how much that that guy made selling all the houses. We've done the work. We should be actually, uh, we should be building houses. So came back, touched down on the Sunday. On the Monday, I phoned my solicitor. I says, I'm looking to buy, I want to build some houses. He says, I've got a church that's for sale, Scott. One of my clients is just selling a church. Would you be interested in that? I said, yeah. So I then had a look at it. I had planning permission to build 12 flats. We It was in the good old days when you could borrow 75% of the value or um, 75% of the value, sorry, of the value or the valuation, whatever was the low. Now it's the lower, but then it was right. whatever was higher. So yeah. we'd, agreed, we'd agreed to buy this for um, 215000 if I valued it 350. So we could actually borrow all the money. So <laughs> so we got basically 100%, but we got 75% of the value, but we got 100%. Yep. We then got funding to, to build the flats. We built... 12 flats in a year, sold them, and I made 714 grand. I'm like, yeah, beauty. This is what we yeah. should be doing. So we bought, took the money, we bought another site, we bought another site. We then started growing rapidly. That's when I uh, started living like I was David Beckham. So I basically, I stayed in a, I bought a, a plot in Archerfield, which is probably the number one, number two housing estate in Scotland, right on the golf course. There was 100 houses. I bought, but we bought four plots. We built two and sold two, but I bought one, a plot, and my partner bought one. We built houses there. So back to the power of the mind, I had, um, I told you that I grew up in a stud partition across the kitchen. So yep. I basically got my architect to draw me a mansion on a, I just wanted to draw it, a mansion on an acre of ground with the house that I wanted, and I drew it, and it was on my office wall for 10 years. I used to look at this every day saying, I want that. I'm going to have that. I'm going to stay there. Mm. Anyway, 
my old next door neighbour says to me, they're selling plots of land down at Archerfield, Scottish. And I said, look, I've just joined the golf. So I went down and I looked and they showed me a map with 100 plots. And I said, I want that one. And it was plot 33. And it was 1.15 acres. And the guy said to me, he said, um, that there's five different house types. He says, that's a house type Y. And I said, can you show me a house type Y? And the house type Y was just about identical to the house that I'd been looking at for 10 years. So like when you oh, look right. at them side by side, you're like, wow. The, so that was the power of the mind. So anyway, I, I bought yep. this house. Um, I built it with no budget. I spent two point two five million building the house. It was a dream house. It was a beautiful oak staircase that curved the way up. It was absolutely stunning. It was like a, it was nine and a half thousand square feet. So a big, big house. This was my dream to stay in a mansion, um, and I and I achieved that. It was absolutely fantastic. So we were living. We're, life was great. We we're earning really good money at the time. We were. Just under forty million in sales, just in that last year that we had, and the credit crunch hit. So every single time that I had made money, I well, spent some of it, but I bought another site. I bought another site. Mm. The credit crunch came, so I, I was up. I was probably worth about twelve million pounds, and credit crunch came. The banks, the, the value side coming down. Banks started saying, "Give us our money back. Um, we'll give you two weeks to do it." And then suddenly, this the well, you know yourself, the whole world ended. My accountant yeah. said to me. Eh, Draw a line in the sand, Scott. Step over it. Everything behind's gone. <laughs> so, the basically, and that was earning good, good money. Stopped overnight. So stopped overnight. Your savings start coming down because when you're living at a level, you know it costs money to live at that level. Suddenly, yeah. they're just coming down. If there's nothing coming in, so basically, um, lost everything again. <laughs> the different circumstances this time, but uh, that was just. Who could have thought the credit crunch was going to happen? Well, some, maybe some people did. But it was horrible. And the only thing at that time that gave me comfort is I remember the, I remember the night that my accountant told me that. I was lying in bed just cuddling my wife. And I just thought, no, I've got my family. And then I saw the accounts. I then realized that my priorities had been slightly out of sync. My whole life had been chasing material goals. So I'd been chasing things that could buy me, money that could buy me things. Not yeah. actually happiness. So in every one of my goals, so I've been a big goal setter since I was 16, but every one of my goals up until then had all been financial. So I changed that. That that very year, I, I, I like the bells to come in and hug me. So happy new year, yeah. everybody, all the best. And I go to my office and I write my goals. So like within the first hour of the year, I start by writing my goals of what I'm going to do that year. So upstairs, write my goals, and they were all, back then there was no financial goals. They were all happiness goals. Now I've got a couple of financial ones, but but the majority of them are still happiness. Like my number one goal is to be the best person that I can be, the best father, the best husband, and the best friend. That is my that, that's my number one goal, just to be the best person that I can be. So um so yeah, I lost it all. <laughs> well, nearly it all, not quite at all. Uh, I had to start again, but yeah, again, you took a hit, you know, and, and I think, you know, even if you don't lose it all, just that hit yeah. mentally, that that you know, it takes a lot out of you, doesn't it? And but you st you stayed positive. Yeah, I was just going to say that because I'm a positive guy. What I looked on that is, see if I had have kept going the way I was going, I would have been dead by now, a heart attack. Stress would have took me. So mm. the way I was going, the like I was going on a holiday, and because I definitely back to the business never gets easier. You just get better with it. Imagine being on a holiday and you're trying to go on a, a Disney ride with your kids in Orlando. And the lawyer just phoned you up and said, hey, oh, that person's backed out. You're not getting that half a million pounds for that house. But you've already left instructions when that half a million comes in. You spend it on do that and do that. And you're like, you know, like, oh, like, what am I going to do now? Like, 
And they say, come on, Dad, there's a queue, like, get me on the phone. I need to get Wi-Fi. It was just, it was just pure stress. And I realised when I'm looking back, I was angry all the time because I was just, I, I would say, everybody, I don't get stressed. I'm like, oh, I don't get stressed. But you're angry all the time and you've got a short fuse. I realised that was actually stress. So mm. I realised that, wait a minute, that's not actually for me. I'm working all these hours under the sun. So I stayed in that beautiful mansion on the 17th fairway of one of the best golf courses in Scotland and only managed to play it three times that year because I was too busy. Like, what's the yeah. point in that? So basically decided then I'm going to do it all again, but this time I'm going to do it with time and me spending time on me as a priority. So I go to the gym, I ride my bike, I do yoga, I swim, I do all these things daily. Uh, I work enough to to give me what I want to live. That, that's another thing as well. I was trying to create a, a lifestyle of money that was probably 10 times more than I actually need to live the life I want to live. So mm. I'm, could I probably, I'm, I'm positive. See, if I wanted to be a billionaire and I wanted to have my own jet and my own island, I'm pretty sure I'd be able to make the sacrifices to be able to do that but I don't want to make any sacrifices. I want that balance. I didn't realize it was yeah. balanced before. There was either, for me, there was that or that. There was yeah. no money and all the time in the world or all the money in the world and no time. And I didn't realize that you could have balance. So yeah. I then worked out. So back to one of the questions is why you need to know your numbers. I worked out what I needed to live the life I wanted to live. Now, still a good life. I mean, I enjoy my holidays. I enjoy nice things. Um, I, I can't buy anything I want as he and and won't buy a, bribe, a private jet, but I can buy most things that I want at this level. So I then worked out that in order for me to earn that, what do I need to turn over, then that's my goal. I don't want to do any more because I want to nice. really enjoy it. And I've, I think the last three years, four years, I'm not going to say they've been the happiest in my life because I, my kids getting born, getting married, and all these things are all great achievements in life. When I, yeah. I BMX is my sport. When I managed to do my first 540 nose tap on my front wheel, that was an amazing time. But <laughs> the last four years, I've had balance that's just been brilliant. You know, so the yeah. balance. So for me, I, I want to live another 40 years, but if I go now, pretty much achieved everything I want to do, and I've just got that right level of happiness, work, money, life, and just all these things. I just, it just, it just, it's just working for me just now. Yeah. And designing, you mentioned there about designing the business around the lifestyle you want. And I think actually, possibly when I say an awakening, maybe that's the, the wrong word, but you realize that actually you can always get more money. The one yeah. thing none of us can get is more time. Exactly. And, you know, actually time's the, the most important commodity that, that well, all of us need. A hundred percent. And you also realize, well, no matter how hard you work, there's always more to do. Like yeah. you can, you know, I, I used to do this as well. Before we go on holiday, I would work till like two in the morning, three in the morning, and try to get everything done. And you get all done before you go on holiday. When you come back, there's no pile. It's just yeah. never ending. Yeah. So, so you have to just prioritize your time. I don't know how many times I've said, I'm not going to the gym, I'm too busy. I'm not going to that, I'm too busy. Whereas now I prioritize going to the gym and then I, I still yeah. get the work done, but but I, um, I don't work as long as I used to but I'm, in fact, I would argue that I'm more productive now. Do you think that's because you're stricter on prioritizing working on the right things? That, that Yeah, yeah. It's so easy to get sidetracked and pulled away to the side in something else, um, especially if you're the boss. You know, everybody comes everybody comes and want to give you their monkeys. Um, so yeah. you just have to... And then at first, you, you, well, I, I, think, um, I think the video you said you had watched was the, it's the E-Myth 
Um, that's a great yeah. move. But yeah, but I've read it. So many people just say, I've done it myself. You're not doing that right. Just give it to me, I'll do it. Like, you yeah. can't do that. Give it to me, I'll do it. Now, and it's harder. And it was actually my, one of my, so I've got a family business now. So my, my three children work in the business, um, which is brilliant. And my brother-in-law is one of our directors, owners, and my wife does some bookkeeping. Part of it, she's just about retired now, I suppose. But um, one of the, I, so, so I used to want to try and do everything myself, but my son said to me, he said, Dad, I'll be able to do that deal sheet. Um, I'll be able to work that out for you. And <laughs> typical when you're too busy. I've not got time to show you how to do that. How am I going to explain it to you? I'll take me longer. I was well doing it myself. Yeah. And he said to me, yes, but if you explain it to me and I do it, you'll have more time because I'll be doing it in the future. Yeah. It's yeah, hard to find, find the time yeah, once to show correct. someone. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, damn it, we do it. He can now do it better than me. And I don't have to do them now. So what I've now realized is rather than get annoyed when somebody doesn't do it like you, is teach them how to do it like you. Now, they'll never be able to do it like you because they're not you, but you'll be able to get them to do it to a level that, that works for the business. Because if, yeah. they were, if they were you, they'd be able to do it themselves. So, yeah, yeah so, so I now train people, which was really hard because I, I, I spent years as well saying I'm not a teacher, I'm not a good teacher, I can do everything, but I'm not. And then with that mindset, you're never going to be a teacher, are you? So now I've reversed that and I've and now say that, no, I can teach people to do that easy. So. I think we can we can all we can all teach in a, in a certain way. It's just having an understanding that people don't know everything that we know. And I think it's really you know they, they always say you know you only know what you know. And you've had it haven't you been in a quiz and you hear the question you're like oh and when you hear the answer you're like oh it's obvious. But if you yeah. didn't know it at that time it it doesn't help. Yeah. And I think we we forget that not everyone knows what we know. Not everyone's had the experiences that that we've had. Yeah. And actually, we can all teach, but equally, all of us can learn. Oh, definitely. I think when it, so that, that's a great one, is you only know what you know. But one's even better for me is you don't know what you don't know. That took me a long time no. to realize. Mm. So, so when somebody doesn't know, then how are they going to know? So that's yeah. where you have to teach them. Is, so yeah, you're right. So if I'm looking at something, I'm writing a contract, and we've put a clause on it. I'm writing that clause knowing that if it's a game of chess, which all business is, that four moves down the line, I might have to counter that. So I want to make sure that that's written, not just for somebody reading it, but when that happens, that happens, and that happens, I'm covered. So if yeah. you don't know, you can't write that. So it's, that's the bit you have to teach, is you have to teach them what they don't know. Um, so... Yeah, yeah. And actually, yeah, I, I guess a lot, a lot of, you know, I speak with lots of business owners, and when you, I'd say, you know, explain a, a system or something, they're like, I'd never thought of it that way. And actually, I've always got into trying to trying to reframe problems or reframe situations so that people go, yeah, I've never really thought about it like that. Because actually that then just, there are other ways, but and if, how, did, you, how did we know? As you said a minute ago, sometimes the, the, the solution is so simple. I remember we got a new puppy with a dog trainer. And so we had a dog that was six months old and we got the puppy. So it was six months of difference. And the puppy kept stealing the, the every time you threw a ball, the, the puppy would steal the dog off the older ball, of the, the, the ball off the older dog. So I phoned yeah. the trainer and I said, I can't get the puppy to stop stealing it from the older dog, and the older dog's just letting him. What can I do? She says, Have you thought about taking two balls? But I have now, like. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, sometimes, this, sometimes the solution is just so simple, you just can't see it. 
yeah, sometimes you're so close to the problem that actually you you can't see. It's like, you know, trying to see, you know, end of your nose or whatever, you know, your finger on the end of your nose. You need to be further away to be able to actually yep. see what the uh, situation is. And I guess, yeah, so you're working with other businesses now and helping them improve. You've said a big thing is, is knowing your numbers. Is that so that I guess you know when to either get out, know when to make changes. Because a lot of the time I hear people have run into cash flow problems. By the time they realize they've run into that problem, it's almost too late. Yeah. Yeah, so I knowing your, knowing your numbers is so important. Like I never knew my numbers way back in the beginning when the accountant says you've lost £10,000. I never knew my numbers when we were losing money at a faster speed just because we were bigger. So yeah, knowing my numbers. So all, all I've learned throughout, throughout all my experiences one is your price so you have to know your numbers but first of all knowing your numbers what does that mean so um like there's no point in getting a PL at the end of the year or three months four months six months after the year's gone to look at your numbers and then think oh we lost that because you've already lost three quarters of that again if you're yeah. doing if you're doing something yeah. silly. so you, you need to do your budget so for me the basics for business and is you need to set your budget and your budget needs to be accurate a lot of people just write a budget that they either leave in the drawer and don't pay any attention to, or they just say, ah, we'll just say £100 for stationery. <laughs> Put into that, and then spend £1,000 a month in stationery and wonder how they're not going to money at the end of the year. So yeah. the, so you, you must put your budget in place, and it must be realistic. You then need to make sure that your product that you're selling is profitable. So, for example, yeah. we we coached a, a, a company that had two sides of their business. They had a, a private side and a commercial side. And so I sat down with them and I ran all the numbers and what they were spending, what they were making. And on their commercial side, they were doing £20,000 a month, but the £10,000 was commercial, £10,000 was private uh, residential yeah. stuff. The the £10,000 that they were doing commercial for other businesses was costing them 12000 And the the 10000 that they were doing for private clients, they were making 4000 So yeah. they're making 2000 profit. And they think they're doing great. They said, we're going to double that. I said, no. I said, how to double your profit is stop doing the commercial stuff. Yeah. I said, oh, don't be silly. I said, I'm not being silly. I said, you're bringing in 10 and spending 12. If you just stop, mm. you'll bring in 10 at the other bit and bring in four. So you've doubled your profits and you've got half the work and go and play golf. Don't be silly. Yeah. So I had to break it down and show them that. But that I just seen that right away because if you don't know what you're... So if, if they doubled up their commercial and they would then be losing more money they're making on their private, they would go yeah. bust. So how can yeah. they be thinking, no, we're busier, we're, we're making money, we'll just but, but you have to know that your the product that you're selling is profitable. So that's number one. And then you have to make sure that you're, one of the things we do as well is a lot of people try and advertise all their products and, and sell all their, all their items where you just need to focus on what is your top three. We've not got time to do everything. What's the top three things that you, they make you the most money? They're the three things that you should be, well, sorry, not the top three that make you the most money because you might have one that makes you loads of money, but nobody wants to buy it. So yeah, like, and you, yeah. you learn that in estimating. If I'm going to price an extension for you and it's 300,000 pounds, I could either just guess it at 350 and hope I win it. I could guess it at 250 and <laughs> if, I, if I win it, I might go bust. But I'm going to probably win loads at 250 if my price is wrong. Or I'm yeah. going to one wad one at three fifty, but not enough to keep run my business for the rest of the year. So your price has to be right. Two dear yeah. is too dear, and too cheap is too cheap. It just has to be right. So yeah, and a lot of people think they need to be busier, don't they? I've I've heard yeah. that before. We just need to win some more work, and uh, you think, well, that just brings 
other headaches. Actually, look at the current work you're doing. Is is your profit level right? Um, exactly. And and actually, a quicker way is actually yeah, whether it's reducing overheads or, or just putting your prices up or whatever it is. Actually, you don't need to be busier to make more money. You just need especially everything I'm, to be profitable. I remember once looking at a cafe, and the guy said to me, "See, we're doing a special baby tails." And I said, "You've got lots of fillings there." He said, we buy them in. And I said, we buy them in. Um, so we say they had 10 different fillings, but they're buying them in at 12. Like a, a case of tuna mayonnaise does 12 portions. But yep. 10 different fillings, so 120 portions. I said, how long do they last? He says, three days. I says, how many baby potatoes you sell? He says, about 10 a day. He says, but we make three pounds on each potato. Because we're selling them at 5.95 and the filling's only a pound. I says, how much fillings you throw out? He said, quite a lot. I said, so your your filling cost is not a pound. If you're throwing four pounds worth of fillings in the bucket every three days, mm. and you're, I says, the, pound, the filling's not costing you a pound, it's costing you four pound. So you're not making three pound, you're actually uh, losing a pound on every baby deal you sell. No. And he said, look, divide that by 12, and so he showed me his number, I says, yeah, but you're missing that part. They've got the whole picture. Mm. So when you add everything together, I says, you're losing money. I says, so what would you be better doing to make your cafe successful? Every time somebody comes and asks for a baked potato, they say, I'm really sorry, we've not got any. But if you go to Baguette and Express and get one, here's a fiver for you. You go and buy it there. I says, you'll make more money than you're making now. He's like, <laughs> don't be silly. I says, well, you started it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, yeah, so you need to know that your, that, your, that your product that you're selling is making money. And then you need to make sure that if you're selling a baked potato that makes a pound and you need a hundred pound a day in overhead, you need to sell a hundred baked potatoes. If you can only sell 30, you need to do something different. You just can't yeah. blind faith continue to sell them. Um, but yeah, so back to the, you, you said a minute ago that we're doing lots of businesses now. We've actually scaled them back. We've realized that you can't spread yourself too thin. So we started growing these businesses and realizing that, that it just wasn't going to work. So we've scaled them back. We've sold some of them and we've only got three different businesses now. Um, and we're concentrating on them, really taking them to the next level, um, which is good. It's exciting. Yeah. And, and you're, you're happier. Would, would you say, you, you, I mean, no, that's maybe not the, yeah, you are happier. Yeah, even though you've always been a positive person, just because that, that balance is right between yeah. uh, earning decent money. Sorry, say again. Yeah. You, you're earning decent money. You're still yeah. pleased about that, but you actually, yeah. The, the time that you've got available to actually do other things, and that's, that's and important to you. More importantly, I'm earning the money that I set out that I wanted to learn to live the lifestyle I want to live. I'm not trying to earn double and working twice as hard. When no, so um, if I'm in business with a guy just now who's brilliant. He's, he's great. He says to me, uh, "Still chasing that pound?" That's what he used to say. To me. Still chasing that pound? I said, "Yep." Yeah. And he said, "Just tell me this, Scott. You're going to do that deal. You're going to work all day." You're going to get another pound. What are you going to do with it? I says, put it in my pocket beside my other pound. He says, exactly. What is the point? <laughs> like, yeah. what is the point? You're better just taking the pound you've got and go and play golf. I'm, I'm using the pound as a figure. But you, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, what's the point? You're just chasing the money all the time and not actually living your life. Um, so, yeah, right. so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm living the life that I want to live now. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was on holiday eight times this year. Um, just, I, I always, I always said to my wife, as like as we met when I was an apprentice joiner, with, with little money. Then you start doing, getting some good money. Now I, I, I remember saying to my wife, I'll be better when we win that job, when I get that, then when we do this, when we do that. Mm. So fast forward, wow, thirty years. 
10 years plus, we're now at the stage where everything I said, the lifestyle that I have promised on my whole life, we're living. And that's yeah. good. That's happy. Happiness. So we're doing what Aww. we want to do. It's good. <laughs> Scott, that's been brilliant chatting to you today. I want to finish on just one little thing. Obviously, numbers is, a, is obviously a key thing, but what one tip would you give to someone thinking who's maybe maybe employed at the moment and they're thinking about going out and, and starting a business? You mentioned the EMF. I think I'd, I'd yeah. probably say that's a really key book to read, but uh, really? what would be your one tip on okay. if someone was going out and starting their business now? So again, it's going to go back to numbers. You know, if whatever you're going to do, you need to make sure. So I hear all the time that a hairdresser has opened up a new hairdressing shop in the, the, the area that she stays in and she's looked at other people's prices and just set her prices to that. That's only half the story. Like Their overheads might be different, right? So you, you, yeah. you must know your numbers. You need to know that what you're selling, you're going to make a profit. And then you need to know how much profit do you need to make to cover your overhead and then how much do you want and then that's your target. That's So, so definitely knowing your numbers. You also need to have thick skin and be prepared that nothing, not nothing, not everything is going to go the way you want it to go. There's going to be curveballs. There's going to be good times, bad times, sad times, happy times. You just have to, if you know your products, if you know your products right, you know you're making money at it, just persevere. Like, I think there was a Kevin Costner film, Failed Dreams, that, that I always remember it stuck out. If you build it, they will come. So I, I just keep in my mind, like, if I, so if I, develop a product that I think is great to the market. I just have the I have blind faith and laser beam focus and belief that that is a good product and I'm going to be able to sell it. So I believe in what I'm doing and I just keep believing. Yeah. No matter how many times I get told no, I just keep keep saying, no, this is a great product and I, and I keep going. And, I, and if, only if I believe it, I have to believe it. So I have to know that yeah. what I'm doing is right. I have to know that it will make me the right money. And, and like, say I have to sell, um, well, Whatever business. Say I have to bring in 1.4 million pounds worth of customers in the trampoline business. I will bring that in every year. Um, you, you you might not you might not you might have a month where you only do 70,000. You don't give up. You know you think right. what happened there? What happened? Oh, it was sunny. Right, what can we do then to bring the people in when it's sunny? Um, yeah. You know what can we do? And we can change and just keep working away. Keep keep tweaking at it and just finding out what's not working and then fix it and then just keep. Uh, that's one one just quick story. There's uh, Life's like a a, a a field full of gates that are open and sheep are in the field. And if it's your job to keep the sheep in the field, you've got to close all the gates. You can't just close one gate because you close that gate, they're running that gate. So you've got to close yeah. that gate, that gate. So it's your job as a business owner is to close all the gates. And even the ones when you come back, you've closed it and somebody's left open, you've got to go back and close it again. It's your job to keep closing <laughs> the gates so you keep everything yeah. there. So and then just persevere and know your numbers. That's the short version. <laughs> Scott, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much for your insights today and uh, and, and the story that you, you've told us. I've genuinely really, really Thank enjoyed you. it. So, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Cheers.